Welcome to The Drum Shuffle, a podcast offering insights, perspectives, and conversations for drummers. I'm your host, Jamie Eads. Hey, how's it going out there, everybody? Welcome to the Drum Shuffle. Jamie Eads joining you as I do each and every week. This is episode 136. I hope everybody's having a great week out there. We're having a fantastic week here in beautiful central Kentucky. Uh, First week of fall, uh, always my favorite time of year. College football going on. I love that stuff. Uh, Lots of festivals happening. Uh, As always, your homework assignment is to go check out a live band if it's safe for you to do so. We have a fantastic episode for you today. I am going to be joined by the great Jared Schoenig right after this message from our sponsor, Los Cabos Drumsticks. The best kept secret for drummers is finally out. Los Cabos Drumsticks may look like the sticks you grew up with, but these are not your father's drumsticks. Los Cabos Drumsticks is Canada's number one drumstick brand, and they are coming to a retailer near you. With operations in over 28 countries worldwide, thousands of drummers have already discovered the Los Cabos difference. Using FSC certified wood from Canada and the US, Los Cabos make the finest quality drumsticks, percussion tools, and accessories on the market. The best news, Los Cabos Drumsticks offers you a ton of choice. They have 22 individual drumstick models and 14 percussion tools, many of which are available in three different wood types, maple, white hickory, and red hickory. Red hickory comes from the center or heart of the hickory tree and has been independently proven to be both stronger and more elastic than white hickory without adding a lot of weight. While most drumstick manufacturers have shunned red hickory, Los Cabos Drumsticks has embraced it, becoming the only established stick brand in the world to offer a full line of red hickory drumsticks. To learn more about Los Cabos Drumsticks, visit them online at loscabosdrumsticks.com, follow them on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, and don't forget to ask for Los Cabos Drumsticks at your favorite retailer. Dare to be different. Join the Red Hickory Revolution with Los Cabos Drumsticks. All right, guys and girls, as I mentioned before the break there, we're going to be joined by Jared Schoenig today. Uh, Jared has a fantastic new double record coming out on Friday, September 24th. Uh, The records are called Two Takes, Volume 1 and Volume 2. Uh, Volume 1 is a great quintet record, and Volume 2 is a big band record. Um, Same songs, different formats, and it is a very unique listen. Uh, I've been jamming on it for a couple of weeks now. I interviewed Jared a couple of weeks ago, and we wanted to get this episode out right as the albums are hitting the street. Um, Jared's playing is just fantastic phenomenal. Um, You may also know him from some of his work on Broadway. He was part of uh, The Color Purple on Broadway. Uh, He has been doing Moulin Rouge for a couple of years. Um, This is a guy that's playing at such a high level, and this is such an ambitious release. Uh, We just had to get him on the show. So I know you're going to get a lot out of this. Uh, So please help me welcome to the Drum Shuffle podcast, Jared Schoenig. Hey, Jared. Good evening. How are you, man? I'm fantastic. How about yourself? Man, I can't complain too much. Uh, You know, uh, thanks for taking time to come on the Drum Shuffle podcast. We appreciate it. Now, I know you're up in New York. Did you survive all the all the crazy storms and stuff this week? Uh, Yes, Uh, it was pretty crazy. Uh, You know, my wife and I had just put our son to bed last night and all of our you know, all of a sudden our phones went off with the emergency alert saying there was a tornado uh, warning, not even a tornado watch. So that was pretty frightening. Uh, rain was coming down pretty hard and this, we turned on the news and yeah, they, they definitely said, watch out for a tornado in the next 30 minutes. But 
luckily everything was cool. Um, just lots of floods in the neighborhood and, um, our apartment was fine, but yeah, lots of trees down, lots of floods and, uh, an unhappy dog with all the water outside. Yeah, <laughs> yeah man. I, I live that life too. When it rains here in, uh, in central Kentucky, my, my dogs, uh, yeah. both of them, they have like feet it. made of cotton candy. Apparently, I don't know. So <laughs> they don't like it. Yeah. It's they, funny. they do not like it at all. So, well, cool, man. Well, again, thanks for taking time to do it. Um, traditionally, yeah, man, for sure. Traditionally here on the drum shuffle, you know, we, we kind of go through, you know, your background information and, you know, you've, you've had a really interesting career up to this point, but we, we go all the way back. So tell everybody, you know, where you grew up and how you got into drumming to begin with, if you don't mind. Yeah, definitely. Um, so I, uh, I'm from Los Angeles, California. I grew up in the San Fernando Valley. There was a big earthquake in Northridge where I'm from, um, in 94. Um, but before that, uh, I was born in the, in the early to mid eighties to two professional musicians. Um, my dad is a studio, um, and orchestral, uh, drummer percussionist who's done a ton of work over the years on films and TV and LA Phil and all that stuff. And my mom is a professional, uh, piano teacher and a classical pianist. Um, so I grew up with music in the house all the time. I can remember really early on listening to a lot of R and B records with my dad and him playing me, uh, Herbie Hancock and, um, you know, he was a pretty big jazz fan, but more just, a, a you know, playing all, lots of different types of music around the house. And classical music was also always going. So I kind of had that background a little bit as well. Um, I actually started on a classical piano, um, taking lessons from about age five to, uh, I guess, about 14, 15. So a good 10 years of classical piano. Um, hadn't really touched the drums, would kind of go out and, and mess around on my dad's drums in a studio once in a while, but I didn't really see that as an option for myself. My parents really wanted me to stick to the piano. I was pretty good at, at, at it and, you know, doing competitions and winning awards and stuff. So um, I got to middle school and I had a brief stint on the oboe small facts about me um, and, and played <laughs> oboe in middle school orchestra. And you don't hear too many drummers who also play oboe. So there you go. Um, and uh, yeah, funny story. I, the only reason I picked that instrument is because they said I couldn't play piano in, in orchestra band. And I said, well, what's really hard? I said the French horn and the oboe. So I chose the oboe. Nice. Um, and, uh, so I got to high school, um, and, and I was starting to, um, kind of gravitate towards the drums. I played a little bit. I was starting to practice by myself at home. My dad wanted me to get a teacher. Um, my first high school I went to was a big, big marching band and drumline, um, high school called Granada Hills. And they had a great reputation and I marched, um, in the marching band and also did drum line and was really, really into it. Um, played in the jazz band also, but I was kind of like the second drummer. There was an older guy in there who, who played. It was, yeah, he was pretty good, but you know, I, I, I learned a little bit from him and basically my story, um, is, is told and was forever changed after my freshman year of, uh, high school when my parents, they decided that they basically they decided that I needed a better musical education and that I was really, you know, getting into the drums and getting into music. And they wanted me to go to this arts um, high school, which was pretty far from my house. Um, it was a good like 25 miles. And in LA, that's a lot. You know, it took me an hour and a half each way uh, on the bus to get to this high school called Hamilton Music Academy or, or Academy of Music. And um, they kind of tricked me into going one, one day, I guess. This was second semester of my freshman year. My dad woke me up in the morning. He drove me, 
we said, let's go for a ride. Let's go just drive around on a Saturday. And, you know, drove about half an hour, no traffic on Saturday. We get to the school. My dad says, oh, this is a, this is a good school for music. I heard about it. My friend's kid goes here. Let's go check it out. Um, I was very confused. So I'm like, dad, what are you doing? This is, this is Saturday morning. Like I want to be sleeping in. And, um, he brought me to the music building and lo and behold, they were having auditions, music auditions, drum auditions for their jazz bands next year. And my dad had set it up for me and tricked me into going, I ended up playing for them and they really liked me and they offered me a spot in one of their bands for the next year. And I guess that was kind of it. My parents, you know, they, they basically forced me to change high schools and um, anybody can remember, most people can remember what, you know, what high school was like and you're meeting lots of people and, you know, you got your friends, you don't want to, you don't want to leave and go somewhere else. Um, so I was, I was pretty distraught at the beginning, but, you know, little by little, I, I started to see how incredible it was and all these incredible musicians um, and actors and dancers and just a, a big arts hub of these incredible talented uh, young people that I was around. And there was also this, a lot of people who had graduated from there who were doing things in the music business. And it, it basically six months later after um, being at Hamilton, I knew I wanted to be a professional musician and play the drums and most importantly play jazz. Um, I had, there, there was an incredible musician who's now become very, very famous named Kamasi Washington, who I played a lot with when he was a senior and I was a sophomore and um, a bunch of great, great actors and, uh, you know, other musicians there. Um, so I was pretty, pretty set in knowing that this is what I wanted to do. Um, I, I recently was talking about this with someone else about like the first concert that also really kind of gave me the or bit me with the jazz bug, which was um, seeing the great bassist Ray Brown and his trio in, I want to say 1999 um, around the corner from my house at Cal state Northridge um, with the wonderful drummer Kareem Riggins yeah. and one of my favorite pian favorite pianists, uh, Jeff Keezer. Um, so this was like right around the time where I, I switched high schools where I was starting to play lots of drums, taking lessons, um, and getting really into jazz and like seeing this, you know, trio concert with arguably, you know, one of the greatest jazz musicians of all time, um, was, was pretty, pretty inspiring. Um, and yeah, I just, I just loved it and knew that that's what I wanted to do. Um, another small story that I, always remember kind of as a pivotal point in my life, even though it didn't really make me want to play the drums, but my dad took me when I was in middle school, probably sixth grade down to the union, uh, local 47 in, in LA to an Elvin Jones, um, clinic slash concert. Nice. And it was definitely an incredible, uh, awe inspiring concert, but I remember that Elvin had been delayed in his flight or, or something had really hung him up and his band was there, but he wasn't there. And I think it was over an hour and a half that people still waited for him to show up and no one left and no one got rowdy. And, you know, I, I think, you know, at the time I was probably like, dad, can we just go, let's get out of here, you know? My dad, you know, made me stay and said, you're going to, you're going to love this. And I, and I totally was super, you know, awestruck, even though at that point in time, I wasn't really playing the drums. Um, but just to see this guy and his power and his presence um, on an instrument that would eventually be mine was probably a pretty uh, formidable part of my existence. Yeah. You know, if you will. Yeah, for sure. Well, I mean, you know, there's a lot there that, that I could unwrap, but I, I just want to, you yeah. know, not to put too fine a point on it, having parents who are supportive of the arts, um, you know, and, and we've yeah. talked about this on the podcast before, 
you know, when I was a kid and said, hey, I'm going to be a professional drummer when I grow up, you know, everybody was like, well, what's plan B? You know, what, what, <laughs> because, right. because you're undoubtedly going to fail. So what is your, <laughs> right. what is your fallback plan? Um, right. You know, our daughter is at an art school, which is, you know, 400 miles away. And, <laughs> you know, yeah. uh, as a high wow. school student, she's a pre-professional ballet dancer, but, you know, no yeah. So, you know, my wife and I, we were like, we're going to give you every opportunity. If that's what you want to do, we're, we're going to be supportive. And that makes all the difference in the world, whether your art is acting, music, dance. Um, you know, not once have we said, well, what's your fallback plan? You know, I mean, it, right. does it matter yeah. if that's what you want to do? Then go do it. Right. Yes. Exactly. And, you know, yeah, to, to add to that, I mean, my parents were always, in my mind, they were always supportive of me choosing to do this. It's funny when I talk to them later in life, they were a little worried um, just because they knew how hard it was to do it. And, you know, I witnessed my dad, you know, as a, as a, you know, a, a very in-demand um, percussionists lose work and become not as in demand as he got older. And as the film industry moved, you know, elsewhere, not so much in LA anymore, because things started getting farmed out to Seattle and, um, you know, European orchestras. So I think, you know, my parents were a little worried. Um, but in my mind, I always saw them as super supportive and they never, ever asked what my backup plan was. And they would often, you know, uh, asked me like, do you really want to move to New York after college or do you want to move back to LA and try to do stuff here? And then they would ask, do you really not want to get a master's degree and not have that to teach? And I said, no, I, I, I'm not going to, I don't, I don't want to do that. I don't need that. And I, and you know, luckily it, it worked out for me. Um, but you know, also, yeah, your parents want to provide the best, options for their children. Good parents do. And they were trying to do that for me, even though I was, you know, very, very set in my ways of what I, what I wanted. And I didn't know where my career would end up at all, but I, you know, I'm obviously, uh, been doing it for a while now and, and nobody would, would know exactly what I'd be doing, but yeah. So like, I think that having parents that support the arts or even if they have no idea about, um, anything artistic, like if you just have, you know, normal parents, but are really supportive, that's an incredible thing. And, and, and just, yeah, arts in schools is really, really important. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's one of the most important things, uh, in in my opinion. And, you know, I, I, whether, you know, not even arts, but any parents, uh, you know, parent, parents, whatever the, the living situation is, anybody that will put up with a beginning drummer, for hours on yeah. end. I mean, that, that takes a special person. And, you know, I mean, I've, I've talked, right. I've talked that to death on here, you know, but, um, yeah. you, you know, I mean, I used to get off the bus and run, you know, to the basement to start hammering away right. at Led right. Zeppelin and Aerosmith and all that crap for just hours on exactly. end and, you know, driving exactly. everybody up the wall. So, you know, I mean, I think, I think it just, you know, it sets you on the right trajectory if you are going to chase it as a career because it's not yeah. an easy career. But having that support system saying, hey, go do it, you know, go do your thing yeah. um, is very yeah. important. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but but you ended up doing college at Eastman. Is that right? Correct. Yeah. OK, so so you made the move cross country for college um, and yep. you know, Eastman is in, is it in Rochester, New York? Is that right? Yep. Okay. Yes. Yes, sir. <laughs> okay. Well, you know, I mean, we had the great Bernie Dressel on the show, you know, a couple of years back. Oh, I, awesome. I, yeah. I think he was an Eastman guy as well. He is. He is an Eastman guy and, uh, a, and a good friend of my dad's. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah, man. Uh, Bernie's just, he's the cat's pajamas in, in my opinion, he's a great guy. Uh, and yeah, totally very, uh, very pleased to have him as a buddy. But so 
that had to be a little bit of culture shock for an L.A. kid moving to Rochester, yeah. New York, I'm assuming. So um, yes. did you look around? I mean, what was, you know, North Texas and Miami and Berkeley? Were, were all of those on the short list? Um, yeah, it's a great question. So um, I guess my my kind of top schools of where I was thinking about going were CalArts, um, which was, you know, close by to me. I would have studied with uh, the great Joe Barbara um, was teaching there. And UCLA was another option for me where Billy Higgins was teaching. Um, I got full rides to uh, Berkeley in Boston and uh, North Texas and also um, I had auditioned for um, Manhattan School and gotten in, and um, yeah, it's so funny why I why I chose Eastman. Um, a couple couple of reasons, yeah. I mean, like I I could have gone to a lot of different places and and had less debt, but I chose to go to Eastman because um, I really loved uh, the basically I saw the big bands. Um, at an IAJE conference when I was still in high school, and I really, really loved the mu- their music. Their, they played also with the New York Voices um, that year, which is you know a group I ended up touring with and playing with a lot. But also the great Fred Sturm was the director there, and I really loved his music. We played some of it in high school. Um, but basically the, the main reason why I chose Eastman was after going to the in-person audition there, felt like it was the right fit for me. It was going to be a small program, um, very competitive program where you, um, just their audition process was like a two day thing where you did your audition with the jazz trio for all the jazz faculty. You did a legit audition for John Beck, who's obviously a a legend of, of percussion and of, of, um, pedagogy. Um, and then they put all the jazz majors together or the jazz audition majors together to play together and kind of play free and, and improvise together and kind of just to get them to see what, what could happen. Um, and I thought that was really, really interesting. Um, I felt like it was a very kind of hands-on audition process. Its reputation had obviously preceded itself. Both my parents had wanted to go there, but, but didn't get in. Um, it was very far away from LA, which was maybe the main reason I wanted to go there just to get out of it, of LA and get away from, you know, my life, uh, my parents mostly. Um, but, uh, another reason was, uh, a friend of my dad and great trumpet player and musician Clay Jenkins had just taken the job a year, um, before I auditioned and, you know, really, really wanted me there. And, um, now that was a great feeling to to kind of know uh, somebody already on the faculty. Um, and, you know, looking, looking back, it was an incredible experience for me there for a number of reasons. Um, most, most uh, important, I think were, are two things. The, the students who were older than me when I was there are, were incredible. I mean, just, the amount of material and the amount of things you, I learned from the older drummers, the older bass players, everyone there. There was such a, a, a beautiful group of human beings and musicians. Um, and also my teacher who was really, really incredible. And that's, uh, Rich Thompson who, you know, I, I came, I came to college basically not ever listening to any jazz post 1965. Um, you know, I was more of a modern player and I like to listen to modern recordings and the kind of the only stuff I liked that was older was Buddy Rich. And, you know, didn't, I had never uh, dove into the lineage of jazz drums um, like I did, you know, with, with Rich. And I had a wonderful teacher in high school who named Jerry Califf, who's a great, great drummer. And I learned so much from him. Um, and, you know, but mostly I learned how to be a good musician, um, and less drum mystic things, but 
with Rich, uh, it was just an incredible, like, uh, you know, history of jazz drums. And that's what I needed. My, I got my butt kicked there. Um, you know, I, I started at the bottom and I ended up at the top. And, and I think that in a school with like, you know, 40, 50 drummers, you never know how you're going to end up. But the program was so small there. Um, I think we had about 50 or 60 jazz majors total in a school of, I don't know, 700 or 800 undergrads. Um, so obviously a very big classical school, but smaller jazz department. Um, and you know, maybe like 10 drummers total and they only take, they only took two drummers a year, three drummers a year. Yeah. Very selective. And, um, yeah, I thought I, you know, I could have gone to North Texas and, you know, where there's like 40 drummers, 50 drummers, you're all trying to get in one of the nine big bands and, um, it's a different vibe. Uh, and, and I think that for me at the time, just, just going to Eastman was really great. Um, uh, just a great place to learn and to really focus and to really shed and to really be immersed in, in music and jazz and new music and free jazz and Balkan rhythms and, uh, you know, anything you can think of, somebody was into it and somebody really wanted to play it, which was great. Yeah, for sure. Well, and, you know, I, I mean, being a, a, a jazz head, I mean, at that time, you know, I mean, all through the 90s and early 2000s, New York was basically the epicenter of the jazz world, um, you, you know. Right. So I, I'm sure there was some draw, you know, I mean, Rochester isn't exactly a bus ride away from New York City. You know, I mean, it's, a, right. it's kind of a drive, but it's a hell of a lot closer right. than L.A., right? I mean, <laughs> correct. correct. so, yeah, yeah, we we used to come down to New York at least a couple times a year to see shows. Um, I, I saw so many of my favorite drummers play in New York. Um, Brian Blade, uh, Jeff Ballard, Jim Black, um, Kenny Washington. Uh, I mean, I saw Roy Haynes in New York for the first time. Yeah, I just, I mean, we would come down and we would, we would make a hang out of it and we would stay at somebody we knew's place and, drive back the next day and get back for class. Yeah. It was a wonderful experience um, yeah. being so close to New York. Yeah. And, and my other yeah thought about that is like when I came to New York city to audition for, you know, Manhattan school, I knew that I wanted to live here. Um, I just knew it. I just, I knew this is the place that I wanted to end up and knew that I didn't want to go back to LA, but you know, and then I went to Rochester, which is nothing like New York city, but uh, the snow there is horrendous. Um, <laughs> yes. And that, and to talk about culture shock for sure. I'd never seen snow in my life until I got to Rochester. And then one of the years I was there, I don't know, it snowed for like 60 days straight or something. Broke the record. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Not I, right. I've never seen snow before. Now it's all I see. So <laughs> now it's all I see. Yeah. Basically that's what happened from one extreme to the other. Well, I mean, that's, that's yeah. just amazing. And, you know, I mean, I, I don't certainly don't want to gloss anything over, but you know, I mean, once you got to New York city, I mean, it, it's, it's hard to break into that scene. Um, you know, I mean, I, yeah. obviously there's a, a million guys that have a ton of jazz chops, right. That are looking for yeah. gigs in New York city. I mean, it's kind of where, where you go if yeah. you, you know, if you, if you want to do the jazz thing, um, at least it was yeah. at that time, you know, it, it may be different now. Right. I, I don't know, but, um, you know, when you relocated and moved to the city, you know, I don't know how long it was before you started getting all those really big gigs, but, you know, um, and then, you know, we, we want to certainly touch on the Broadway connection as well, but, yeah, you know, sure. what, what were some of the first things you started doing once you got to the city? Great question. So I was very fortunate to basically play with a bunch of great musicians in college that all graduated before me and moved to New York and were kind of waiting for me to get here. So, you know, grad students, seniors, when I was a junior, et cetera, you know, I, I had this clique and this group of people that 
basically kind of planted the seed uh, early in New York. And, and when I got here, I, I did a couple things. I, number one, I needed a day job because I needed health insurance. Um, I'm type one diabetic. I've been diabetic since I was 10 years old. And, you know, that's, that's a real thing. Like if I don't have health insurance, then uh, the amount of money I'm paying for insulin just to stay alive is, you know, it's, it's tremendous. So yeah, I worked at Apple. Um, and at that time you had to work full time to get the benefits. So I did. And, um, I played gigs in the nighttime and I, and I was playing gigs with my buddies that I knew there already. I, I had started to play some gigs with guys I had known in high school um, through like, you know, all state bands or um, Stanford jazz camp, which was a, a big kind of part of my um, upbringing, I guess. And, you know, I was still basically playing with people I knew, nobody super famous, but, but we were all kind of getting our, our young jazz thing together um, and basically early on, I, you know, one of my best friends, Dan Loomis, great bass player who went to Eastman, he had moved there. And when I got there, we basically started a band pretty early, a trio called the We Trio, um, with a great vibes player, uh, named James Westfall. And that was one of my first, um, gigs. And we really took that group from, you know, just a, a band in Brooklyn to, you know, a national touring act that did a lot of great, great stuff. And, um, through Dan, I met a lot of people, um, a lot of musicians. Uh, it's funny for a while, for a long time, I could trace like every gig I've had to someone I went to school with. And <laughs> now it's, it, it, yeah. it's, it, and I think most people can can do that or like want to try and figure out, you know, oh, how did I get this gig? I wonder who recommended me, blah, 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 blah. Cause, cause when I got to New York, I really didn't, I didn't do the jam session thing, which is a, definitely a big part of the New York jazz scene. You know, you go to smalls, you play the sessions, you go to Cleo's, you play the sessions. People hear you there. People hire you for gigs. Um, my first two years in New York, when I was working, um, at Apple and I ended up getting a teaching gig at a private school and I was playing gigs in the nighttime. You know, I, I was pretty exhausted and I can't, it's funny. I can't remember much of that time. I really, I, it was so exhausted all the time, but I was playing a lot of great music, but just working my butt off, um, and just meeting lots of people and playing sessions at people's apartments and meeting a lot of great new musicians. Um, and I think basically it wasn't really until I quit Apple and, you know, became just, um, just a, a gigging musician, um, was when I started to get some nice gigs and some higher profile touring things. Um, and is also when I started to sub on Broadway. Um, so everything kind of happened at once and I kind of, attribute that to just like making the change in my life that I needed at that time, which was like to, to just focus on music and I'll figure out the health insurance another way. And that's what happened with that. I see. Well, I, and you know, I mean, it, it goes without saying, and, and for those listeners that aren't familiar, um, you know, you did the color purple for, uh, you know, a, a period of time was all over TV with appearances there, you know, I mean, Jennifer Hudson, yeah. I mean, all, all that stuff. Um, right. And you, I, I guess you guys are about to go back. I, I don't know, but uh, you've been doing uh, Moulin Rouge for a while. So, um, yeah. you know, and the whole Broadway shutdown thing, you know, I mean, I, I won't really get into that, but you used your time very wisely. And again, I'm not trying to gloss anything over, but I want to get to this, you know, brilliant yeah. new double record that, that, you know, uh, it just hit the street uh, or about to hit the street. Um, right. So talk to me a little bit about, you know, the, the Broadway thing and all the TV appearances 
And I'm assuming that shutdown time is when you really started formulating this plan of, okay, I'm going to step out as a band leader. I mean, obviously you've got the composition skills from your time behind a piano, et cetera, but this is a very ambitious release for a first time band leader. I mean, I, you know, most drummers don't just like, okay, I'm going to do a quintet and a big band record at once. Right. (laughs) So, right. So yeah, kudos seems, to you for, for doing it. Thank you. Um, so, yeah, I'll tell you a little bit about the, the, actually the lineage of this project. So this actually was a pre-pandemic idea, a pre-pandemic recording. Um, so everything happened in late 2019. And my plan was to put it out in the spring of 2020, and obviously, you know, we know what happened. Uh, that wasn't feasible. Um, you know, I still had a lot of stuff to do with it. Mix, master, art, uh, you know, all, all the stuff. Basically, I had, we had done the recording sessions in New York um, in, yeah, in late 2019. And um, I'll, yeah, I'll tell, tell you a little bit about just that process. You know, I have... I have a book of material um, as like a co-leader of the We Trio, which featured all of our original compositions. So I've been writing for a long time and I'm not one of those guys that sits down and can write a tune a day. Um, like I, I need deadlines. I need projects to write for and I'll make it happen and I'll, and I'll be proud of what I do, but I'm not somebody who has an, an exorbitant amount of material. So over the years I've, you know, I write, I write things that I really want to play for the rest of my life, which is great. But, but I only could like, you know, pick a handful of those that I wanted to put on a record. And I've always loved quintets. I love writing for two horns. Um, you know, I love alto and trumpet comp you know, the combination. Um, and so I, I took, I had this music, and I had always wanted to do a big band record. A big band has been a large part of my musical life and my career in New York. Um, I've basically played with every um, every major big band that's toured or you know done lots of work in New York, um, except for the Vanguard band. Um, but I played with every other one. You know, Darcy James argue. Um, Alan Ferber, a bunch of Grammy, you know, nominated people, Jim McNeely, Mike Oliver. Anyway, so I love doing it. It's been a big part of my life. And I knew that I wanted my music to be on there. And, and, you know, I was like, okay, I can do this. I'll do some big band arrangements. And at a certain point, I realized, man, I'm just not that good at this. There are way better people at this, geniuses, who could do something really incredible with my music. And I, and I basically, you know, I put together this short list of my favorite arrangers, favorite composers working in the big band world. And, you know, all of them were down. All of them said, yes, all of them were really excited. All of them were really pumped about the project. Um, and I was so fortunate to basically get everybody I wanted. Um, and, um, so yeah, so, my my idea was always to put these two records out together in tandem to just show how things can get transformed, how music can sound different when it's given new life, given a, a new pen, you know, and a new take. And basically the records are called Two Takes, Volume 1, Volume 2. Uh, one is the quintet, one is the big band. And um, there are a lot of really incredible musicians on both of them my favorite players, my favorite musicians. Um, the quintet has, you know, my favorite, I basically in my life, I've got to play with my two favorite trumpet players ever, you know, Nicholas Payton, who obviously I listened to a ton as a young jazz musician and got to play with him in new Orleans through the connection of James Westfall. And then, um, you know, he did the last we trio record he's on, three tracks and plays on, you know, one of my tunes and was pretty amazing. And, 
the other trumpet player is Marquise Hill, and I did a tour with Marquise um, maybe five years ago, five, six years ago with a pianist I work with a lot named Lauren Topgood, who I also work with uh, the vocalist Kurt Elling. And um, I was I was floored by this guy, Marquise. He was he was like a, a this giant and this, this such a beautiful person and human being and. Um, you know, I, I loved every note he played. He sounded so great. And I knew that this is the guy that I wanted on my record, my quintet record. And I basically centered the whole sessions around when he could do it. Um, him and Godwin uh, Louis are the, the horns. Godwin is an incredible alto sax player who has played with everybody and is just a, also a wonderful human being. Um, and the pianist is Luis Perdomo, who... I've also been listening to since I was a young jazz musician on a bunch of uh, Miguel Zinon and uh, David Sanchez records. He's incredible. And then uh, the bass player is Matt Closey, who's been one of my oldest friends and favorite musicians in New York. I started playing with him 2006, 2007, pretty you know shortly after I moved here. Um, so that's the quintet. And then the big band basically is... Uh, comprised of some of my favorite people in New York who are also on a ton of records that I listened to as a kid. Uh, most of these guys played in Buddy Rich's big band, uh, Woody Herman's band, have done tons of Broadway shows, um, are on a bunch of tons of commercial recording, and they're just all incredible people. Um, also have like the great Johnny McCaslin on a bunch of tracks who who is also an incredible human being and wonderful musician and whose band I've played in. Um, and another one of my faves is Nir Felder, who's a great guitar player who's, you know, he's just blowing up. He's playing with everybody and rightfully so. He's just a, an amazing um, musician. Um, so I realized I didn't talk about the Broadway thing, but if you'd like, I will. <laughs> no, man, I, I just, you know, I, I want to say, you know, I've been listening to the record, you know, off and on here for the last week or so, you know, since I got my, you know, preview copy uh, or, or whatever. Oh. And, you know, sonically, it's beautiful. Uh, the compositions are great. One of the things that I want to point out to folks and, and you know, I, I, I never air these like right after I record them. So I want to make sure I get the mm -hmm. release date out. It's available on September okay. 24th. Uh, on Anzic yeah. Records, and I'm assuming it's going to be available anywhere you can pick up your your fine music. Um, but Correct. on yeah. the quintet record, one of the coolest things that I think I've ever heard as an opening track is "Intro oh. to Whiteout." And oh, nice! It, so I, I, when it first came on, you know, I was like, "Oh wow, man, those drums sound huge!" You know, it's kind of like this little, right. you know, drum break. And then I realized that they were decaying reverb off of the track right. as it went longer. Right. And it just sets the tone so beautifully for a, a drummer-led quintet record. It, oh, was, it was a brilliant production um, choice. Thank um, you. you know, Thank you. But it, it's just such a, a good record. And then when I listen to the big band record, I'm like, wow, this is completely different, but not different at all. Does that make sense? Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, I, you know, yeah, those, it's funny, those, there's that intro, yeah, intro to white out, and there's a few drum interludes um, on there that I interspersed between some tracks. Um, you know, I had this idea to like have processed drums on there be be kind of like a palate cleanser in the middle of these these tunes and my mixer who's an amazing cat named chris allen who um has done a ton of records and works at one of my you know the great one of the greatest studios in new york called sear sound he i attribute those sound and kind of sonic choices mostly to him, you know, I had a, I had a vision, but he executed it in a very, very cool way. And I, yeah, I, I love what he did with, with the, the processing and the, the different effects. Um, but yeah, the, the, the big band tunes, yeah, they're, they're the same and they're different. Like you hear the tune, but you can also really 
get like transformed to a different space and, and sonically they're, they're all over the place. Um, you know, people change the feels of the original tune. They, they pick crazy instruments the you know, the harmony and the grooves are different. Yeah. It's really, it's a really cool thing to just like turn over your tune to somebody else and say, do whatever you want with this. Like I, I didn't tell anybody what to do with any of the tunes. Um, the only thing I, I wanted was on one of the tunes on Gibbs Street, I wanted Donnie to solo and, and my boy Ike Sturm on electric bass to solo. And this great, you know, great arranger, Brian Kroc, just gave me this, you know, brilliant adaptation of it, which I thought was really cool. Well, I mean, you know, he, here's what I would say to anybody who, you know, uh, picks up the record. And the, the way that I approach you know, listening to these records, um, you, you know, is I, I want to be critical, but not be critical. I mean, I, I have to approach it yeah. as, you know, I, I'm not, you know, I'm not David Fricky or, or, or whatever, you know what I mean? I'm not writing yeah. 1500 words for Rolling Stone. And, and I don't like most right. of those guys, to be honest with you, you know, they're always like, oh, you know, it, yeah. it, it, it lacked body. What does that mean? You know, yeah. so. But, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, I, I just put it on, you know, I don't play jazz. I, I really suck at trying to play jazz. I really do. <laughs> but I love That's jazz right. music. I love it. Um, cool. You know, but he, here's what I would say to anybody picking up the record. The quintet is going to be um, the quintet record is going to be what you would expect from a great jazz quintet. And then when you put on the big band record, you know, volume two, it's like, wow, it's it's just textured differently. And it's, yeah. you know, I mean, I can't put it into words, but it really made me smile. And I was just like, man, this is just so damn clever. You know, it, it's oh, man. It's, right. it's a brilliant idea. It really is. Um, Thank you. You know, so I, I would encourage everybody to pick up a copy. Um, I mean, it's just it, it's just fantastic from from pillar to post, as we say down here in the South. Um, just nice, nice. phenomenal, phenomenal record. So kudos to you, and and I hope it does really Thank well. Um, I know you guys are doing a big release show in New York City, so why don't you tell all of our listeners about that? We've got quite a few folks up in the city that tune in every week, so invite them all out to the show. Cool. Well, yeah, uh, October uh, 17th at Birdland in Midtown Manhattan. Um, We'll be doing, yeah, basically, you know, a release for both of the albums, but the big band is going to play and, um, yeah, everybody who is on, I used a lot of different people on the big band record just cause I have a, a, a lot of people I wanted to include. Um, but you know, not everybody can do one gig. So I have, uh, you know, kind of my select, uh, group of guys who are going to do the gig and it's going to be incredible. And, uh, that'll be my big, big release party for the two albums for sure. Yeah. Birdland 5 PM. Uh, October 17th on a Sunday. So you'll be out of there 6.30, get home, have some dinner, or eat dinner at the club. Um, it's, you know, one of my favorite clubs, great sounds, and it should be pretty pretty fun. Yeah, for sure, man. Well, I mean, I, I just think it's brilliant. And, you know, again, I, I want to be respectful of your time, of course, but l- let's do touch on the Broadway thing just a little bit. Um, for sure. Yeah. Because, you know, I mean, I... And I don't know. I, I'm curious about this, but you know, when you started doing the color purple, I, I think you garnered a Grammy uh, for for that association. Um, yep. You know, you did a lot of TV appearances. Um, you know, you've played for yep. Oprah for for God's sakes, and <laughs> you yeah. know, backing up people like Jennifer Hudson, et cetera. You know, playing on Good Morning America. Did. Did yep. you find that raised your profile a, a great deal? I mean, explain to our listeners how how things like that can lead to other things. I guess that's what I'm trying to get at. Yeah, that's that's a great point. I mean, so I had like, you know, I had gotten into doing some shows 
um, you know, around 2009. And, you know, the way you start out is you sub on shows for other great drummers. And that's a whole other conversation um, and a whole different kind of skill set. But, you know, eventually I started getting my own shows. Um, and I was very fortunate. I'll never forget, you know, when I got the call for my first Broadway show, because, um, that was a big turning point in my life. I was going to, you know, make a, a really good living playing the drums for, you know, 20, 20 hours a week. Um, and then I could sub out and do whatever I wanted the rest of it, you know, whenever I wanted. So that has led to a lot of great experiences and, for me to be able to have a family and just to have a life of balance, um, in New York city, which is always what I wanted, like a musical balance. Cause you know, I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm most happy when I'm doing a lot of different things, whether that be high profile jazz gigs, sessions and Broadway shows, um, you know, even a little bit of teaching here and there. Um, so Broadway has really let me, do that. And it's not something I ever thought I was going to do in New York. It just kind of, I don't want to say fell in my lap, but it, it really kind of did. Um, and I, and then, so yeah, I, by the time I did the color purple, um, I had already done a few shows of my own. Uh, the color purple was the third show, um, I had a chair for, and probably definitely the most excited I was to do a show because a, Jennifer Hudson was in it, you know, a huge star and B, um, Cynthia Erivo, who has, you know, become a really big global star was, that was kind of her, her beginning. And, you know, I, I played a lot with her outside of the show and did a lot of wonderful gigs with her and, and Jennifer Hudson too. So it definitely started to raise my profile and get me more visible um, you know, outside of just doing jazz and just doing other Broadway shows. Um, and it, you know, it, it definitely led to other things, um, more of the same work and more of different supporting, um, you know, some R and B artists and stuff like that. But yeah, like I have continued to do more Broadway shows and it's, it's, it's a great part of my life. Um, I, yeah, I was doing, so I've been working on the show Moulin Rouge for, since probably 2017 or 18, I was brought on very early in the development of the music and the tunes and the grooves and just the concepts of the, of the tunes um, that they were going to use in the show because it wasn't a strict adaptation of the movie. And a really brilliant dude named Justin Levine is who, I started working with who's the musical supervisor and kind of the brainchild um, behind all the musical choices and arrangements. And, you know, we basically got together in a room with a few other musicians and came up with a lot of stuff together. And ever since then, I've been doing workshops for the show and we had to do it out of town in Boston. Um, then I came back and I did another Broadway show and then I left that one to do Moulin Rouge, which opens in um, July of 2019. Um, and it was great. It's really, really fun to play. I, I wrote every single thing I play on it. Um, you know, like it sounds like me playing the drums on a Broadway show, which is kind of crazy. Um, people hear it and go, how, do you, how did you get that on there? And I just, because that's what I was hired to do. Um, I was hired to, to be myself, which is an incredible thing, you know. So, um it's just funny to hear other guys sub and play exactly your, your licks and stuff. Um, <laughs> yeah, but, it is. You know, it's like, cause that's what happened. That's the gig. That's the gig. you got to come in and when your subs learn your show, they transcribe everything you're doing. And when you see it written out, sometimes it's like, Oh wow, that's what I do there. That's cool. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so, you know, we shut, we shut down and we had no idea when, if we we're going to open up again. And, but we finally got the official um, date and, and time, I think maybe in April of this year, March or April. Um, I was very excited, very ecstatic um, because I missed, I missed playing that show and I missed being with that band, an incredible band. Um, and, you know, it's, but yeah, it's a large part of my life. I mean, I didn't play, 
I, so my family and I, we moved to California uh, for nine months during the pandemic and we were hanging out with our in-laws and with my little baby. And uh, I brought my V drums out there. And so I didn't play acoustic drums for nine months, basically. Oh, wow. Um, I did one, one session in LA, drove down to LA from, from Monterey. And uh, that was the first time I played acoustic drums. And then, you know, I moved back in June and I've been happy to have been working a lot since then. But yeah, it was a, it was a hard time. Yeah, for sure, man. Well, I, you know, I it just, you know, amazing stuff going on in your life. And, you know, again, want, you. want to be respectful of your time. But now that you're, you know, about to get, you know, the, the record out into the wild, you know, at the end of September, what is next? I mean, I, I, you know, are might we read someday that you've joined Slayer? I mean, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> what's uh, what's in no, the, what's in the cards I, for Jared? <laughs> well, basically, me putting these albums out, I've wanted to just um, you know, I, I want to be. I want to be out there as a leader and not as a sideman. Um, I want to do my stuff. I want I want my band to play my music. Um, I've already set up a bunch of residencies at colleges where I go in and work with students, and then we play my big band music at cool. a concert. And I, I love doing that kind of stuff. Like working with kids and and doing clinics is one of my favorite things to do. We did it a ton with the We Trio. We always had a blast. Um, I feel that the guest artists that came to college, you know, to Eastman when I was there are some of the most important lessons I've learned from musicians. So I just want to be able to give back and do that for this next generation of, of musicians. And yeah, I just, yeah, it's, it's like time for me to, to step into the, to the spotlight, if you will, and, you know, play with my band and play with my music. So that's what I'm doing. I'm booking it. Um, I'm trying to, uh, not be out of town too much because I have a little one and then a little one on the way. Um, but, uh, that's, that's what you will be reading about for the next, however many years, I hope. Cool, man. Well, that's, that's fantastic. So do me a favor, tell all of our listeners, um, you know, how they can find you online, you know, social media, anything you want to share about that. So people can, can follow your career. Sure. Um, yeah, I've got a website at uh, jaredshonig.com, J-A-R-E-D-S-C-H-O-N-I-G.com. Um, I update that with my gigs and some blog posts and stuff. Um, I'm pretty active on Instagram. I believe my handle is jshonig. Could be Jared Shonig, but probably jshonig. Um you know, I'm on the Twitter once in a while and, but yeah, Instagram and my website are the best places. Also Bandcamp is where my albums will be released and available for sale, but also will be available everywhere else you can stream and buy music. Well, I'm going to say this right now. Uh, and I don't know, I hope you're releasing these in physical form someplace, somehow. Uh, I am. Okay. I am. Good. So folks, Buy a physical copy of this because trust yes. me, it pays Jared a few pennies more than if you stream it on Spotify. Yes. So, <laughs> correct. You've you've yeah, got I mouths. You got mouths to feed. So uh, you know, uh, right. I, I know I know how excited I am when I get my uh, quarterly Spotify check for seventeen cents uh, each quarter. It just. <laughs> You know, it makes it makes all the difference in the world to me. So uh, but uh, all joking aside, pick up a copy of it. Two takes volume one and two on the street, uh, September 27th. Jared, thank you so much for coming on the drum shuffle. We'll do it again. Keep us posted on what's going on. And anytime you have something to share, let me know and we'll get you back on here. Thank you, man. It's been a pleasure to speak with you, and I appreciate you having me on. Thanks so much. Absolutely, man. We'll talk to you soon. Awesome. Have a good one. Thanks, man. See ya. All right, guys and girls, that's going to wrap up episode number 136 of the Drum Shuffle podcast. As always, many thanks to Jared for taking time out of his busy schedule to come on the show. Make sure you go pick up those records this week. They're just 
fantastic. It's such a good release. Everybody should have that in their drumming library of great tunes. Uh, as always, thank you guys so much for tuning in. We simply cannot do this show without each and every one of you doing so week in and week out. Uh, as always, I'm going to ask you to hit the subscribe button on whatever platform you use to listen in to the Drum Shuffle podcast. And the biggest thing you can do to help us out is share a link with a friend. Uh, we have a lot of great episodes coming up that you're not going to want to miss. Next week, I am going to be joined by the legendary Russ Kunkel. Uh, just do a quick Google search and you'll know this guy's blood runs platinum. Uh, we talked to him about the immediate family and their new release that's just phenomenal. So you're not going to want to miss that. Uh, we answer every single email that we get here at the podcast. The Drum Shuffle Podcast at gmail.com is where you can reach us. Our web address is thedrumshuffle.com. And you can always find more information on me over at jamieeds.com. Once again, your homework assignment, go see a live band if it is safe for you to do so before live music all goes away. So until next time, may your head stay strong and your sticks never break. Cheers, everybody. Cheers.